Welcome to Identity Church Sunday Morning Message, where sonship is revealed. Stay tuned at the end of this message to receive more information about resources available through Identity Church. Now grab your Bible, sit back, and enjoy a message from Identity Church that is already in progress. We started doing, um, we're calling it, I guess we're calling it the Band of Brothers, Jack Taylor's spiritual sons. Six or eight of us started getting together on a Zoom call because COVID makes you do things. And one of the great advantages was we started having brothers calls. And when COVID hit, we were all kind of like, you know, do we go to jail or do we come to church? You know, that's a question when, you know, what do you do? And so through Ron, um, he's, we, we were having these brothers calls and we were as pastors going, you know, we don't, we don't know what to do. And he goes, I got this guy. He's an attorney and he loves Jesus. I'm like, you can't have both of those in the same sentence. <laughs> what the heck? Attorney loves Jesus. Yeah, okay. Who is he? And so he, he hooked up a, a, a Zoom call with, uh, Joel Thornton and, and he, he, he shared his heart, shared the legalities of what we could, couldn't do. Um, one of our brothers, Bobby, he's like still a Marine, and, and he wanted to charge the gates of his community and blow the doors off the, you know, he, he's just one of those. And Joel gave him good legal counsel. Don't do that, dummy. And, and, and it was interesting. And, and uh, it was also interesting that Bobby got upset because he didn't like what he said, and he didn't even know it. He, he left, but he came back a week later and realized he was needed to listen to some wise counsel. But what happened uh, is very quickly, he was invited kind of as an expert that we needed. Um, within just a short period of time, he became one of us. And every week he got on the call, every week. And so... How many, you know, everybody knows Jack, Papa Jack Taylor. I mean, he's a Jack Taylor son. I'm a Jack Taylor son. And, and Jack, Jack has, he, he kind of, some of us said, you know, Jack is kind of like a, he, he spiritually whores around. <laughs> Jack just picks up sons, spiritual sons all over. So we, we, we told him that, you know, if you could do that, we can do that. So we just told Papa Jack, we, you have a new spiritual son. You just haven't met him yet. We picked him out. The brother said, you know, you're one of us. And so uh, that's why Joel's in town. We went and spent some time with Papa Jack yesterday, and, and he loved on him, and, and he uh, became a spiritual son of Papa Jack. So that makes us all spiritual brothers. And see, the good thing about the brotherhood is, you know, this father-son paradigm is good. you got to have it, but you really don't fight with a spiritual father. You console, and you, but brothers, you can just duke it out. And so we're all brothers. And, and what I have found is that um, he's prepared to go to war in places that I never knew that I was supposed to go with him. You know, when, you, when you're in battle, I mean, we, you know, I got Wayne here as a his military guy. You know, if you don't take uh, the air, take the air, you know, airspace, the enemy, you're not going to win. And that's that's your intercession. That's your prayer. That's where Karen and the intercessors and all that is starting to gel with what um, all of us are starting to do. And that's tear down the darkness. Yes, amen. If we don't start tearing down the kingdom of darkness, 
our country is going to implode around us. And uh, one of the things I've asked Joel to come today and to share his heart, share some facts that are probably going to shock some of you. Um, when we were in Louisiana, he shared some things that just it pierced my heart and, and areas of darkness of this nation, areas of darkness and sex trafficking that we want to ignore. But I believe we're in a season we can no longer ignore it. If we're going to be the church that God calls us to be in Scripture, you're going to have to prepare to get engaged. And so um, I just want to introduce to you my brother, Joel Thornton. Now, we have a guest speaker. The, the basket is here to sew into. And I, I realized this morning I'm probably going to need to do another teaching um, on, on the trading floors. In heaven, you traded on Revelation. Okay, and the, Lucifer, instead of trading and realizing the revelation came from God, he kept it to himself, and that's when he fell into pride. So when you hear revelation, you trade. That's what you're doing with your finances. So that basket is here for um, a guest speaker, um, my brother, Joel Thornton. Thanks, hey, Amen. Let me start with some housekeeping of my own. I got a couple of things I want to point out before I start sharing. And uh, go ahead and start preparing yourself because this is dark. Um, it's this is not an easy thing to talk about. It's not an easy thing to hear, and it's not an easy thing to be called to deal with. But I believe we're going to do all three of those today. We're going to get that calling. Uh, before I start, though, I went to the restroom back here in the near the pastor's office and. I'm very uncomfortable with the way y'all set that up. I uh, walk in and there's a chair in there like it's a waiting room. <laughs> and quite frankly, I'm not comfortable using the restroom in a waiting room. I went ahead, I locked the door and went ahead, but if anybody tries to get in there and sit down while I'm using the restroom, we're going to have words, okay? I want to start with that. Uh, and secondly, uh, I agreed with... with uh, Everything that was said about Charlie, except the whole idea of honesty, and I want to say as an attorney, uh, I'm not wedded to honesty. I'm not wedded to the truth as an attorney. I, I'm wedded to my client. <laughs> and I'm kidding. Because uh, as a Christian, I, I saw y'all kind of panicking a little bit going, wait, he said he was a Christian lawyer, and that doesn't really make sense to me. Um, let's pray because I want to make sure that this gets out right. And I want to make sure that it, I, I want to make sure that you, that you leave here with an understanding of what we're battling. But if you leave here afraid, downtrodden, and, and horrified, then I've failed today, and I don't want to do that. So let's pray. Father, we just... There, there aren't a lot of words that can be said to you about this. You know it. You see it every day. You watch your children destroying your children. You watch your children destroying everything you made. And you watch them celebrating it. Father, these are dark times, and these are times like no other where we really need you to be I am. Father, give us the courage 
to stand in the gap. Give us the courage to look into the darkness and to not be turned by the darkness, to not be scared of the darkness, to not be drawn to the darkness. Father, we know that darkness is merely the absence of light. And we know that all light has to do to get rid of darkness is be. Darkness can't drive out light. Light drives out darkness. Father, we're about to step into the pits of hell. And I pray that you would give us the grace to walk there and not get the smell on us. Give us the grace to walk there and not get depressed about it. And give us the grace to walk there and destroy it. Father, we don't want to live the life of the country song. If you're going through hell, just keep on moving. We want to live the life of if you're going through hell, destroy everything you can see. Father, show us how to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, you know, I was going to start with a, with a little bit of a history lesson to kind of ease us into this. And, and I was thinking about how we got here as a country, but I, I don't think we can start there. I think we have to start at the Garden of Eden. There was a choice in the Garden of Eden, the, the, the tree of good and evil, the tree of life. And we all know the story. Man chose the tree of good and evil. He chose to know, to see the world the way God does, to understand the world the way God does, that there's good and there's evil and what's good and evil, instead of choosing life. And I think that's even more significant. This is something, I, I haven't thought about this until I was sitting here. As I was thinking, I would start in about the 1920s. And then this, this idea hit me. And so I'm, I'm kind of, every time I speak in front of Charlie, I go, look, I'm kind of feeling my way through this message, so don't hold me to everything I say, because some of this I'm still working out in my head. Uh, but, but it's, the original choice that man made was a choice not for life. Now, I've never really thought of it that way. I mean, I, I realized, it, I thought of it as he chose not to have eternal life, but the choice was the tree of life, not the tree of eternal life, the tree of life, or the tree of good and evil. And man chose from the beginning to make his own way. He chose to be the arbiter of what is good and evil, what is going to be right, what's going to be wrong. And so for eight or 10,000 years, depending on, on how you believe, and, the, and I don't even care if it's a million years. I don't, I don't argue with people over evolution. I think evolution is the stupidest idea I've ever heard, but it may be how God did it. And I don't care because God did it. And if God wants to take a billion years to do it, I'm not going to argue with him about it. That's between him and his, his time. If he's got time to spend a billion years doing it, then God bless him. But, which is, I, I don't know how you do that. It's like, <laughs> sorry. The, but, but it, and it, it's been in and out. Listen, the, what we're living through is what's so hard about this. What we're living through is not new. People have traded in people from the beginning of time. People have not valued, from the moment man chose not to choose the tree of life, men have not valued life. And there have been seasons when it's worse, seasons when it's better, but that's always been the case. Uh, the, the ancient Greeks, I mean, look at the, uh, those who worship the god Moloch. They would take their babies and put them in the hands of a statue and light a fire under them and sacrifice them. 
Look at the Incas and the Aztecs in South America. They would sacrifice people in order to try to continue life. That was that from the beginning, that's been the understanding that man has of life is that you have to kill to bring out life. And that's not God's understanding. God's understanding is you have to die to bring out life. A seed has to fall into the ground and die to become alive. Nobody kills the seed. There's no requirement to kill the seed. In fact, if you kill the seed before you plant it, the seed never grows. You can't kill it in account on life. You have to let it die. Now, to skip forward and not go through all of that history, uh, except to say that, that in the ancient times, in the book of Revelation, I think it's in chapter 2, it talks about uh, the gates of hell will not prevail. I've always read that and thought, that's kind of cool. The gates of hell will not prevail. And I've always thought of it as a mythical thing or kind of a, a figurative thing, not a literal thing. But there were literally at the time that Paul was traveling through, through Asia, through what's now Turkey, there were literally a place that had these huge gates that were known as the gates of hell. They were over a huge hole in the earth where they believed demons would come out of the earth and spirits would come out of the earth, and they built a sacrifice there where they could sacrifice children. Those gates right now today are sitting in a museum in Berlin, Germany. You can literally walk up the steps of that altar and stand right where they sacrificed babies. And because it's Europe and not America, you can actually touch the, the gates of hell. You can walk up to them and put your hands on them. There was a discovery in the 1920s by a German archaeologists. They brought it out of Turkey. Hitler wanted to build a big museum to it because if anybody understands death and murder, it was Adolf Hitler. He understood the loss of the, of the tree of life. Adolf Hitler is a modern example of what you get when you don't believe in God. Of what you get when you don't value what God values. You know, a lot of people say he's a Christian. I've spent a lot of time studying his life. Uh, there's nothing Christian about this man. He was never a Christian, never believed in the faith. He gave it some lip service because lip service is what politicians give everything. And all of them do it. I'm sorry, it doesn't matter who they are, they do it. And let me to get, let you in on a secret. The reason they do it is because we let them. I, I tell people all the time, when you're, when you're deciding who to vote for, you can't vote for people based on what they tell you. you when somebody shows you who they are, believe them. You vote for somebody based on what they've done, not on what they're telling you. Because if what you're telling me doesn't match what you've done, why are you going to suddenly change? Why haven't you changed before? And this goes for everybody. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here to campaign, and I'm not going to get into politics any more than I just did. Uh, but to say that that's, that's part of the devaluing of life again. If you don't hold your leaders accountable to value your life and their life and our lives, they're not going to. So in the 1920s, uh, Margaret Sanger, y'all heard of Margaret Sanger? Okay. She came up, uh, she started studying eugenics, kind of the study of how to manipulate genes and genetics to create a, a better people. Uh, the theories that she was, that she was a spouse, and I don't think she came up with them, but she was one of the first people to really talk about them loudly, 
were the theories, they were the same theories. Hitler used Margaret Sanger's theories to set up the whole Holocaust, the devaluing of humans so that it was easier to kill them. You know, the Nazis would run articles or, or ads on television and on, or on radio and, and put them up publicly, and uh, they, would, they would talk about Jews being rats, and they would show them as literal rats. They would put little outfits on them, give them the, the curls, the, the locks that the, that the Orthodox Jews wear, put a black hat on them, put them in a black outfit, and they would go, look at the Jews. And they, they convinced people Jews weren't really people. Because it's easier to kill people if you don't believe they're really people. It's hard to kill people when you believe they're people. It's hard to hate people you know. Now, there are exceptions to that. I've met a few people that it's easier to hate once you know them. <laughs> but they're, they're really few and far between. If you ever can peel back the layers of the onion. And so that was part of, that was the whole eugenics thing is we're going to dehumanize them and then move forward. Well, Margaret Sanger believed that poor black people were a drain on society. And she believed that handicapped people and mentally handicapped people were a drain on society and that abortion was the solution to this, that we could selectively abort people. And by doing that, we could create a better society. Not all black people, just the ones that weren't going to have a good chance. What she, what she started later became Planned Parenthood. 70 to 80% of all Planned Parenthood abortion clinics are in black neighborhoods today. When Jesse Jackson first ran for president, he would, he would, he would publicly say abortion is infanticide in the black community, infanticide. Democratic Party pulled him aside and said, if you'd like to have power in this party, you'll quit saying that. And he made a deal for power. I'm sure, I, I'm not, this is not anti-Jesse Jackson, I'm sure he made the deal for power thinking if I can get inside, I can change it. I can make a difference. Because I believe he believed it. I believe he was sincere about it. But the trouble with making deals with power is power never honors their deal. The Satan never honors his deal. He's the father of lies. So in the midst of all that going on, you also have this active approach to evolution being the only answer to how the earth got here. And I told you before, I don't care. I, I think God could have used evolution. I'm happy with that. Listen, God made a donkey talk. I've never been able to do that. If God can make a donkey talk, he can take a billion years to make the earth. Or he can make it out of something that existed before that he'd already done before and it had been through its cycles. He can do it any way he wants to. I don't care. But I know that evolution is not the answer because we've got fossil records with people's footprints next to dinosaurs. They don't talk about it much because it doesn't really work well. When man came along millions of years after dinosaurs, it's not really good to go, well, how did those footprints get in the dirt? And, you know, the fossil record is as old as the rocks, and we know how old the rocks are because the rocks are as old as the fossil records. Did you catch that? The archaeologists say, we know these bones are this old because they're in these rocks, and the geologists tell us these rocks are this old. And the geologists say, 
We know these rocks are this old because these bones are in the rocks and the archaeologists tell us the rocks are this old or the bones are this old. Yeah. It's circular logic. Anywhere but in a science class, we'd all stand up and go, well, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> but that's probably the first thing we understood in a science class. We're sitting there going, well, I understood that. There's rocks and there's bones. Wow, I can figure that out. The, the point of evolution as we know it is there is no God. No God required. But that's not even the point. Why is no God required? Because if no God's required, man's not special. And if man's not special, we can do anything we want to make a better world. We can kill a million babies a year. Well, they're not really babies. They're just fetuses. Remember that? They're just, they're just fetuses. Well, you know what a fetus is? It's a Latin word for baby human. Or something like that. Don't, I'm not a Latin speaker, so don't quote me. If I, if I got that wrong, don't hold it against me. It sounded good, though, didn't it? I told you. I started off by telling you I'm not wedded to the truth. So, I'm, I'm, I'm working without notes here, so I'm suddenly going, I think that's right. So I'll leave it to you to go research. So you've all got magic boxes. Feel free to look on them and see. If there's no, if, if there's no value to human life because man's not special, we can do what we want. And remember, all these things are progressive. You know, it, it's, it, every generation softens up a little bit. I can promise you if we went back, if I could, if I had a time machine and could take you back to the time when Jesus was alive on earth, most of us probably wouldn't like him the first time we saw him. He probably smelled. So he didn't have, he didn't have old spice deodorant to put on. Probably didn't bathe regularly. Probably didn't wash his clothes regularly. You know, back in the pioneer days, they would take a bath at least once a year, whether they needed it or not. In America, 300 years ago, he was probably a little gruff for what we're comfortable with. He certainly was a little gruff for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You know, I remind people all the time, you know, the, remember when the what would Jesus do bracelets were so big? I would remind people, you know, you need to be careful with that because anytime you ask what would Jesus do, there's always the possibility he would take a whip and start beating something. Because we always think about Jesus sitting down with the little kids. Bring the, suffer not the little kids to come to me. Bring the kids here and hugging the kids and being, and, and we talk about Jesus being love and we forget about the wrath of God. If God is not angry at the world now, then he doesn't exist. And there's one thing I know. He exists. If he turns his back on what's going on now, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah, whose sins were not merely homosexuality. There was all kind of debauchery going on there. There were probably two or three dozen reasons to, to judge those cities and destroy them. But one thing I can guarantee you wasn't happening in Sodom and Gomorrah. They weren't murdering hundreds of babies in the womb. They weren't involved in human trafficking at the level we are. 
But you see, to get to the place where we are today, you have to go through the eugenics. You have to be filtered through evolution. You have to be filtered through abortion. And you have to be filtered through the God is dead idea. Because people can't get here if there's value to human life. Now let me skip to the end and show you, show you one more thing before we start getting into the details. The, there's a movement going on right now in America. It's not going on. It's going on some in Europe. But it's mostly a Western phenomenon. It's a new transgender, transidentity movement. You guys have all heard of it, right? I'm not, I'm not saying anything new. You can be whatever you want to be. Just so you know, I've publicly declared my gender to be plastic jug. I, I just thought it would be a nice thing to be. You can fill yourself up with whatever you want. You can refill yourself. You can use it. It crunches when you squeeze it. There's all kinds of nice things about it. And since we can decide what gender we are, I thought, why not? Now, there are 132 or 140, it multiplies every day, genders. And that sounds really good. We, you can be whatever you want to be. You, you can't get trapped in your body and, and just be trapped in your body. You're born in the wrong body. Now, here's the amazing thing. When we do gender transformation uh, treatments and surgeries, there are only two genders you can choose from. How did that happen? I'm baffled. I thought I could be. There, there's a lady who is one of the censors for Twitter who decides if your tweets are worthy to be on Twitter, who self-identifies as a deer. That's her gender. D-E-E-R. I don't want a deer deciding whether what I tweeted was worthy to be on Twitter. It's no wonder they can't get the censorship right. It's funny, but these people are serious. And while we're all laughing about it, guess what they're doing? They're deleting your, your tweets. <laughs> they're deleting my tweets. They've deleted a couple. I got mad about one. I lost the battle. They wouldn't even engage. Here's file an appeal, and I filed an appeal. You, if you take the tweet, tweet down, they will reverse the, their decision, but you have to remove it. Now, they won't let anybody see it while you aren't removing it, but they, you have to remove it. I filed an appeal and waited a month. And hadn't heard a word. It's a seven-day suspension. I went back and took the tweet down, and they put me right back online. But never acknowledged. I, I asked them three or four times, when are you going to rule on my appeal? Nothing. And you know, where you, you know what you get when you look on their websites for phone numbers? Nothing. You can't call PayPal. You can't call Facebook. You can call and talk to an automated line, I think, on Facebook. You can't call and get anybody on Twitter. And if you do, you can't get through the, the, animated, uh, the automated operator. Because you don't really matter. As long as you keep getting distracted. The world is, is run by magicians. Look at this. Isn't this amazing? Look, oh, look at what I pulled out of my hat. Look at this. Isn't this amazing? Oh, look what I pulled out of my hat. And we're just all kind of going along. Well, I told them on Twitter. I got them straight. I told them all what I thought about them. I retweeted Ben Shapiro. That shows them what I think. And, and we get, listen, it's fun. I, I have a lot of fun with this. My wife goes, you need to go back to work. Quit doing that. But, it, but it's, it's so much fun sometimes. You just, I said, but honey, you don't understand. I'm angering people on Facebook. They're mad at me. I'm a lawyer. I like people being mad at me. 
<laughs> I, listen, I, I learned conflict, and I learned, uh, I learned to like conflict, and I like to argue with people that don't agree with me. I don't like arguing with people that agree with me. It's not any fun. You just argue about the same things, and at the end of it all, you go, oh, yeah, we were right. But I like talking to people that don't agree with me because it makes me stop and think. Because you don't get where we are now. You get where we are now by not thinking. The only way to unget where we are now is by thinking and by saying, I'm not following the party line. And by party line, I'm not talking about Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberals. There's only one issue in politics that you can't recover from in my book, and that's abortion. You believe in abortion? Nope. I go on Twitter every day and call them murderers. It makes them so mad. You can't call us murderers. It's not murder. I've lost friends on Facebook. I had a guy that, that was a friend of mine on Facebook. We were arguing about abortion. I said, look, abortion is murder. There are times when murder is justified. And there are times when abortion can be justified, but it's rare. It's virtually non-existent. And he came back and said, well, what if your daughter had had an abortion? Trying to personalize it and have me go, oh, you're right. I would. And I said, look, the definition of murder doesn't change because my daughter committed it. My response may change. So I may suddenly go, well, let's have some grace. But I've got grace for murderers. I don't hate women who've had abortions. I, I, I hurt for them because they weren't told how it's going to destroy your life. Even if you keep believing the lies you've been told that it's not a real human life, they weren't told about the destruction and the devastation and the depression and the suicide and the cancer rates and all that because we shut down all the pro-life protests because we don't want people giving an alternative voice to this. Because it's not a baby, it's a choice. It's not a child, it's a choice. That was kids that weren't born. They weren't satisfied with that, by the way. Did you think they would be? You think they would stop with that? In this transgender movement, they're now reaching out and trying to sacrifice our living children. 9, 10, 11 years old, putting them on puberty blockers, drugs to stop their body from growing before they reach puberty. You know what happens in puberty? I mean, we all know the, the, the unfun things that happen. With guys, our voice starts changing. With women, your body starts changing. All kind of weird things start going on, and it freaks you out. And with guys, we're sitting around, and suddenly we're talking like that, and we don't know how it happened. <laughs> that's, what, that's, that's what we think of puberty. But guess what's really going on? Your bones are developing, and boys particularly so. Boys and girls are basically equal until puberty hits. Physically, athletically to some degree, the changes start happening with puberty. The bones and the muscles develop differently in girls than they do in boys. The brain develops. So the solution to this, since you're not, since you believe you're a girl and you're born in a boy's body, the solution is to suppress the boy and we're going to give you puberty blockers so that your body doesn't develop into a boy's mature body. What could go wrong with that? Then, when you get 14 or 15, we're going to take you off of puberty blockers or 12, and we're going to put you on cross-sex hormones. For girls, we're going to give you a dose of testosterone 
Now, I just learned this this week. A dose of testosterone that is four times larger than the amount of testosterone that the normal man produces for his body. What could go wrong with that? And we're not going to do any studies because studies might not show what we want. So we're going to do some real short-term stuff, and we're going to talk about how all the doctors agree because the doctors all agree because they're afraid to be called intolerant and bullies. Once you start the cross-sex hormones, you start to sterilize the human body. In a woman, her ovaries don't develop. In a, in a man, her, his, uh, his um, testicles don't develop. And you're permanently sterilized. And you can never reverse it. That's sacrificing our kids. And we're doing it to be tolerant. But that's not what really makes me mad. What makes me mad is right now in the public schools in the United States. Oh, they're not just teaching it. They're excluding the parents from it. You've got a 12-year-old in a public school. There's a good chance if your 12-year-old decides that they're the other sex than the one they were assigned at birth, like it was a random decision, doctor pulls the baby out, looks at the baby and goes, hmm, what are we going to make this one? We all know how this happens. Doctor pulls out the baby, looks between his legs and says, I got one of two choices. This one is this. But the language they use is sex assigned at birth, like it's a random thing. And now you get to decide what it's going to be. And if you're in a public school, they're encouraging teachers to, to affirm these children for their psychological benefit and not tell their parents. I'm involved in cases on that right now. We've got a case that we're taking to the Supreme Court of the United States. We'll hear something probably by November whether they're going to take it. <clears throat> and in this case, they are the public schools in Dallas, Oregon, not necessarily surprising, decided that girls had the right to use boys' bathrooms if they identified as a boy. They don't have to do anything. They don't have to have an ID that says they're male. They don't have to be taken. They don't have to be taking any medication. They don't have to be doing surgery. Nothing. They just feel like they're a girl or boy. They can use the boys' public bathrooms, locker rooms, and showers. The mother of a 14-year-old girl who had been raped by her father as a child. I'm sorry for the, for the kids here for this, but it's, that's what I'm telling you. It's dark. And I haven't got to the dark part yet. <laughs> Decided she was a boy. I could tell by their reactions that they were uh, probably more mature than the rest of us. <laughs> the, the, um, the mother goes to the school and says, I don't want my daughter using the men's room. Period. And the school says, we're in Oregon. This is in the Ninth Circuit. And the court cases in the Ninth Circuit say that when your kids cross over the door to our school, they no longer belong to you and you have no rights over your children. <laughs> Don't bring it up again. The boys in the class, the boys in the locker room, there were a bunch of Christian boys in the locker room. 
they weren't comfortable undressing, going to the bathroom, because this was, they had to change clothes for PE. They had to at least strip down to underwear and put on new clothes for PE before and after PE every day in the two years while they were on camps that they were required to take PE. That was a requirement of the class, that you had to change clothes. You had to do it on campus, and you had to do it in the locker rooms. The boys weren't comfortable with it, so they started a petition and asked the school to, to reverse their policy. School officials took up the petition from them and called them in and told them, if you say one more word about this policy, you will be disciplined. And you will be publicly labeled as intolerant and a bully. <laughs> yeah, I don't, Oregon's beautiful, but I don't think you can raise kids there. Parents, you don't have a right to say anything. And oh, by the way, kids, we just suspended your First Amendment rights. That pesky constitution. So we're asking the Supreme Court to reverse it. They will ultimately get these cases because it's not just going on in Oregon. It's going on in Georgia. Jacksonville, Florida. Bro, that's getting close to you. We've got to get busy. This case that just, that just happened at the 11th Circuit where they ruled that a Jacksonville, Florida girl, it's, it's always hard to keep this up because the courts insist you call them by their new pronoun and I always call them by their first pronoun and then I get confused over which is new and which is first. I think it, it's a, I think it's a girl wanting to be a boy. Name is Adams is the name, is the kid's name. That case will be headed to the Supreme Court soon as well too. It's going on in Indiana, Wisconsin. Minnesota, Massachusetts, Maine, everywhere, the whole country, out of nowhere. But you only get there if you don't value life. And you only get there if you don't believe in God because the, the thing that is so evil about the transgender movement, and it's evil, and the thing that is so evil about it is that they believe that human bodies are mistakes. And that would be that would just be nominally important if we were just making an argument. But if you believe the Bible in Genesis 2, it says, In the beginning God created man. He created them. Male and female, he created them. This is not a war against just your children, it's a war against your God. Because if that Bible verse is not true, none of it's true. This is the foundational core of everything we believe about who man is. Either man is created by God in God's image as man and woman, or he's not. Now listen, there's no arguing that we've screwed up the whole man and woman thing. You know, Paul said women aren't allowed to talk in church. I saw some of y'all talking earlier. I almost left. One of you was singing. I'm going, my God, what, are we in ancient Corinth now with the pagans coming to the church? We've obviously screwed that up. Because Paul also said there's neither male nor female. He was speaking to a specific problem in Corinth. The women were disrupting the church during the church service, yelling out to their husbands at because the Jews separate people by sex in their in their congregations. 
there, there was all kind of chaos. It wasn't a general proclamation, and I, I don't know if y'all like that theology or not, and quite frankly, from I've heard some theology from both of you I didn't like, so we're good. No, no I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> but I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm chasing some rabbits now, and I, I'm, I'm not unaware of the fact that I've gotten way off target, but I'm just kind of going with what's popping in my head. I'm lifting up my cranium and letting you see the chaos that is me. We, we screwed it up. And a lot of why we're here is because of how much we screwed that up. We haven't treated women well. Didn't let you vote till the 20s. And by the 60s, we were wishing we hadn't done that. And in the last election, we were all going, oh, the women are going to really mess this one up for us if we're not careful. But the women don't respect the women either. The men don't respect. Listen, the truth of the matter is none of us respect anybody because we've all bought into the system that even though we believe in God, we're not convinced that God had anything to do with what's going on. Instead of understanding that God has something to do with everything that's going on. The thing that separates earth from heaven is God is everywhere on the planet earth or separates earth from hell, I'm sorry, is God is everywhere. The thing that's so horrible about hell is not that it's hot and it's burning and you're thirsty and there's gnashing of teeth. It's that God does not exist in hell. There's no hope. You can't think that maybe tomorrow will be a better day. I don't know how that works, but I know that in the darkest place on this planet, when there are girls that are being sex trafficked, God is still there. He hasn't turned his back on it. So let's get into that. I have, I have no idea what time. Charlie told me I had you till 3. So I'm kidding. He didn't. He said 2.30. The, the, um, let me give you just some cold hard facts because I've, I've, I've got to start running now. I've been jogging. I've got to start sprinting. $150 billion a year. It's how much money is made in human trafficking worldwide. $150 billion with a B. It's the largest organized criminal enterprise in the world. Not a single family. It's not like the Gambino family run in New York. It's a bunch of different people, but they're all organized. Not together, but they're just a bunch of different. It's kind of like churches. You've got all of this, this certain number of churches in the country, but they're not, and they're organized, but they're not necessarily organized together, but they're still functioning in the same veins. It's like that. When I first started looking at this issue about 12 years ago, it was about $29 billion a year. In a little over a decade, it's gone from the number three criminal enterprise in the world behind guns and drugs to the number one. In 10 years. There's some nasty people in this world. Listen, I, I'm pro-life, 100%. I don't believe in the death penalty. I know that'll upset some of you. Partly because I don't believe that man understands how to dole out justice. Partly because I also don't believe it's man's job to tell a human being that you can't be redeemed by God. I think we made a mistake by deciding we're the ones that can determine if someone's redeemable or not. I have some exceptions. Pedophiles. Kill them all. Give them a trial. Hold a fair trial, convict them, and kill them. 
human traffickers, kill them all. The people who are making the market for this, castrate them all. Because ladies, I'm going to redeem y'all. Y'all are not the problem. There are very few women running around the world buying children for sex. It's men. And here's the worst part, is most of the people that are battling this are women. Not enough men. One of the biggest organizations in the world doing this, and I'm not going to mention them because what I'm about to say is mostly women. And God bless them. When men don't do their job, women will step up and do it. And guess what? Women will usually do it better than men. The, do what? Yeah, they kill them quicker. That could have been my child. <laughs> Susie will vouch for you. She, I saw her nodding. In the midst of all that, there are, these are, remember, this is organized crime. It's all happening under the radar. So it's hard. It's the, one of the biggest problems in this field is that it's hard to get solid facts on how many it is. But they're, they're believed to be between 20 and 40 million slaves, trafficked human beings on the planet right now. Now, to put that in perspective, the entire slave trade in America, the greatest abomination of this country, so don't think I'm letting anybody off the hook on this, was about 19 or 20 million people were involved, trafficked, and held slavery, held as slaves after they got here and their families grew up. There's more slaves right now on the planet, almost by double, than in the entire slave trade in America of 200 and something years. Or, yeah, it was, about, it was about 250, almost 230 something years. They're selling African men, women, and children on slave blocks in Libya today, publicly selling them. Most of these are labor slaves. Most of these slaves are labor slaves. But there's a growing number of sex slaves. And here's the worst part of it. They're not picking off unwanted kids, kids out of, who don't have any fathers around, kids out of the projects, white and black. Listen, here's some more news for you. There are more poor white people in America than there are black people. So when we talk about poverty, it's not a racial thing because most blacks are middle-class Americans. I don't say that loudly in Georgia. <laughs> I think you can say it in Florida. Yeah, okay. So it, it's not, this is not a race thing. It's time we got over the race thing. Amen. I don't care if you're black or green or yellow or purple. I can't do anything about being white. I didn't get to vote. I can get out in the sun and get kind of dark, but I can't ever get dark enough that you're going, that may be a brother there. <laughs> I can't do it. Now, my wife's Lebanese. I'm convinced that my mother was never sure if she was a black woman or a white woman. Because <laughs> she's, she's Arabic descent, and so she's dark-skinned with dark hair. I don't care. It's time we quit caring about that. And especially in the church, if we can't get over it, how can we expect them to get over it? And there's a lot of churches in these here parts that you can't say that. It's, I know where I come from. 
There's a bunch of them you can't say that. Shame on us. And while we're arguing and worrying about those things, see, I, I don't mind saying that black lives matter because guess what? Black lives do matter. But the fact that you have to put a qualifier in front of it t tells me that you don't understand the real picture. Lives matter. Life matters. It's all that matters. And every man's life is as valuable as any other man's. And by man, I mean man and woman. There's nobody more valuable than you. If you don't believe that, you don't believe in God. Before you were created in the womb, He knew you. Before these kids that are being trafficked were created in the womb, He knew them. He knew the horrible situations they were going to be born into, or He knew where they were going to end up to. But life is so valuable that He's counting on us to rescue these kids so they can get back on track and have a normal life. If we don't go get them, if we don't change the paradigm of human trafficking, it's on us. All of us. We can no longer sit back and do nothing. They're taking kids out of suburban malls. Kids from good homes. Kids that have their own car. They've got somebody sitting at the door of a lot of malls all over this country. And they're watching groups of kids come in. And these people are good. They're not creepy. If you met them, you'd like them. You'd probably invite them to dinner and be comfortable sitting at a table having a meal with them. The creepy people can't steal kids. You have, to, you have a white van with a door that slides open and a box of candy. And that's not how this is happening anymore. And as the kids come in, they greet them. How y'all doing? And they watch for telltale body language. And the biggest, biggest body language among girls is if girls are not comfortable and feel threatened, they look down. And they mark every girl that looks down when they come in the door. And they get on their phones and they text somebody in some other place in the mall. There's a girl coming your way. She's about this old. She's wearing this. Approach her. Hey, your makeup looks really good. You did a good job of that. We're, we're doing a model shoot. And we'd like to have someone come in and, and put on makeup. Would you be interested in coming and audition for us and putting makeup on models so we can shoot the pictures? Because you did a really good job. You're a 14-year-old girl. <laughs> it's, it's like who I, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill myself with this one. Because I, I don't know who, who to give the idol to. It's like David Cassidy walks up and says, hey, you sing really well. Come sing in my band. See, most of even you adults don't know the Partridge family. Y'all aren't watching TV land. <laughs> yeah, they're not older. We remember, don't we? Yes. We just dated everybody in the room now. He was a heartthrob in the 70s, okay? That's why I said, I, I know it's not Cardi B. But it's, it's like that. There's a flattery that's involved. And guess what? The first time they take you off, they take you and let you put makeup on a girl and take some pictures of her. And they start finding out if you got friends. And then they invite you back. And then the next thing you know, you're a sex slave. And I'm not even going to go into the details of that in church. It's prostitution. It involves a lot of people. And it is not something that anybody aspires to. Boy or girl. And then... 
because they picked you up at the mall and because they basically did a job application with you, guess what they've got? Your details, your home address. If you don't keep doing what we're telling you to do, we'll go kill your little brother. We'll go kill your mother. We'll go rape your mother and kill your little brother. Now the girl's doing it to protect her family. How emotionally devastating is that? To be working as basically a prostitute, but to think you're doing it for a noble reason to save your family. That's how twisted these people are. They're not willing to physically destroy these children. They're emotionally and psychologically destroying these children. It's okay. We've got protests going on over here. Don't worry about all that. We've got Antifa's over here. Y'all look at that. This is bad. They're burning down cities. Well, let them burn them. Because if we don't stop this, we deserve to have it burned to the ground. Now, that's a harsh word. I'm not going to leave you with that. There's... There, I, could, I could go on for a long time about this. I think you get the picture, though. 400 girls a month are trafficked in Georgia alone. 4,800 girls a year disappearing in Georgia. Jeffrey Epstein, we've all heard that. It's human trafficking. Sex trafficking, minors. There was a time I talked to a lady who was probably the first reporter to cover this. She worked for CNN. By the way, CNN does a great job on human trafficking. They have great programs on human trafficking. They're, they're not biased. They're passionate and they're honest. Great, best stuff out there. Nobody's doing what CNN's doing on that. So shout out to CNN. It's the last time I'll say anything nice about them, but shout out to them. And I'm not going to say anything nice about anybody else because I think they're all corrupt. That's part of our problem is we keep watching television going, well, these guys are supposed to be telling us the truth. It must be true. Instead of thinking for ourselves. Instead of thinking for ourselves, we keep watching the magic show. This lady was a reporter that started looking into human trafficking and has dedicated her life to it. She told, me, she told me this in probably 2011, 2012. And she was talking about from her experience was about 10 years old at that point. So it's about 20 years old now. She said, when I first got into this, they would order children. And, and when they were ordering a child, when someone was ordering a child from a trafficker face to face, they would go, what kind of child are you looking for? And they would, they would measure them like this. Looking for a 15-year-old, 14-year-old, 12-year-old, 10-year-old? What are you looking for? What color hair are you looking for? What color eyes? You want them thin, plump? You want them fat? How do you want them? You could order them like at a drive through window. And she said, but Joel, there's been a shift. And in the last year, they've gone from ordering children like this to ordering them like this. How old a child do you want for me to steal, for you to rape? 
that's the only thing we can say to Jesus. Because we've, we've sat and we've argued over whether Trump should be twittering, tweeting, or whether Mark Zuckerberg has a right to stop it over who's blow-drying Nancy Pelosi's hair. Now, these are fun arguments. Don't get me wrong. I'll still argue all this stuff with you. But I don't let that consume my life. And that's not my legacy. My legacy is this is going to end while we're alive. Now, that's, that's a big, big statement. And, I'm, and I realize I'm a big man, but I ain't that big. And I'm not, I'm not stupid enough or vain enough or arrogant enough to think that I'm going to do it by myself. But it's not going to continue to happen on my watch. I'm going to make people uncomfortable. I'm going to talk about things we don't like to talk about. Because if we don't stop this, the church has no power. Because here's what I know. In man's world, the decision to choose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was all about the physical and the mental. Choosing the tree of life was about the spiritual side. Everything that happens in this world is spiritual. There's, and I, I, you know, I hate to get old-fashioned about it, but there are principalities and powers and demons that are in control of, of places and locations and citadels. And these things are not happening just because a couple of men decided to make some extra cash. These things are happening because dark principalities that war against God have decided to destroy his creation and to eradicate it from the face of the earth and to have us do it ourselves. Like Rome crumbles from within. Well, we're watching America crumbling from within. Why? Because you can't tolerate this level of disrespect for human life and expect God to give you a pass. I, I hate to put it to you that way because I, I, you don't even know it yet, but I just screwed up your life for the rest of your life. Because you can't walk away from this. Once we know, we don't have any choice. And I am not going to stand in front of God and say, I wanted a bigger house. I didn't have time for it. I wanted a nicer car. I didn't have time for it. My kids were, were distracting me. I'm sorry. I took care of my kids. My kids didn't get trafficked. Took care of my, my nephews and nieces. They didn't get, I got my grandkids. Never let them out of my sight. Every child on the face of this planet belongs to us as, as sons and daughters of God. We have authority over every one of them in the spirit realm. The first thing that we're doing, we're, I'm in the process of setting up a, a new organization to start handling this issue. The first thing we're doing is we're setting up a prayer network international, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, not to pray about the presidential election, not to pray about the drought in Ethiopia, not to pray about the, the hard time Europeans are having with their health care or, or anything. 
but to pray about this issue, to destroy the principalities and powers that control this area. Because if we don't destroy that, all we're doing is pruning trees. Amen. We can rescue 100 kids. You know, there have been the U.S. Marshals picking up kids all over the country. Isn't that amazing? Gislin Maxwell ends up in jail, starts talking to the police, and suddenly they're finding stolen kids, lost kids from all over the country. I don't know if there's a connection, but spiritually there is. Something's broken in the spirit, slightly. Or the principalities and powers of the air are throwing us a bone to make us feel better. I'm not satisfied with the bone. Forty kids in Georgia is not enough. That's, they're giving us a tithe back. Devil's tithing to us. That may or may not be true. I'll throw it out and leave it. No, no, I was impressed with it. I'm going, man, this guy's pretty sharp. I was like going, wow, he's good. Um, Anyway, that's the first thing that has to be done, and I'm in the process of setting that up. It's an international thing because there's citadels all over the world. It's not controlled from America. It's happening here as well as it is anywhere else because we got money and depraved people like everybody else. But it's not just here. And then we've got to start joining in the pruning of trees because my commitment is we're going after the root of the tree. Enough of pruning. We're not trying to make a nicer orchard. That's why you prune trees, so they give you more fruit. We don't want any more fruit. I just thought of that too, and that's, that's, that one's going to haunt me. If all we do is prune, we're making the problem worse. If we can't get to this tree and find out, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure how to get there. I feel like Martin Luther King on some of his last speeches. I've been to the top of the mountain. I've seen the other side, and I'm going to get there with you, but I'm not sure how we're going to get there. I wish I could tell you I've got a four-step plan or a five-step plan or a three-step plan, and we'll just I know we'll get there. I know we'll get there because yesterday my papa committed to helping us get there. Not, not saying, oh, here's cash for it. He said, we're, we're going we're gonna to take this battle on. And if men like my brothers take this battle on, the devil's in trouble. Because it's not about building a big church. We can all build big churches, and maybe we will. But it's about destroying the fundamental evil that is going to destroy this entire place and destroy our children along the way. And, you know, if it were only about heaven and hell, I'd say, let them destroy it. Let's get out of here quicker. But it's about whether these little girls, mostly, and these little boys are going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. Are we going to allow them to be so damaged that God can't find them? And the other thing I'm committing to that I, don't, I haven't heard anybody commit to this because everybody says, look, it's a lifetime of counseling. It's a lifetime of therapy. These girls will never be normal again. I'm declaring today that I'm no longer willing to accept that. Amen. If Jesus can raise the dead, yes. if he can cleanse the leper, if he can make a man lame from, from birth walk, if he can feed 5,000 people with a couple of salty fish and a loaf of bread, and if he can create people that still do that on this planet, 
He can heal people completely of this destruction. We're no longer accepting that these girls are scarred for life. We're not just going to do everything we can to end this. We're going to do everything we can to make sure these girls return to normal with no emotional, psychological, or spiritual scars. And the only way that happens is with a prayer network. I, listen, I, I can pray really well. I, you know, I, I can, I, as you all are seeing, I can go on forever too. And, and it's all good, but I'm not an intercessor. I'll pray with intercessors and I'll intercede with them, but I'm not a person that every waking hour stops to think about it. And I don't think that's my calling. So we are officially starting a hunt for intercessors who will commit 15 minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, whatever you got, specific day, because the first thing is to have a group of people that is, that is committed to praying 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. You pray on Christmas Day. Because the birth of Jesus is the reason we can do this. So it's a really dark world. But I honestly believe that we can defeat this thing. And I honestly believe that we can turn back the tide that we can root out this tree and we can give the world back a Christian church that revolutionizes the whole world. <laughs> look, look what 12 guys, one of whom was bad, did to the known world. Only a couple of whom were educated at all. Most of them were just nasty people, rough old fishermen. They turn the world upside down. Who are these men that are uneducated and unlearned that are turning the world upside down? Oh, they're the ones who've been with Jesus. That's the church that we need to have back. But if we're going to continue to give a nod and a wink to the sin that's going on around us, especially this kind of sin, I'm not even going to get into what you do to pornography and prostitution and everything else when you destroy the roots of this tree because it's all tied up together. This is the tree that's controlling the evil on this planet. And I say, let's start building an army to go find it and cut it down. As hard as that's going to be. Because don't be deceived. These are nasty, mean, wicked people we're going against. And nasty, mean, wicked people don't just walk away and go, oh, I'm afraid he's going to hurt me. They don't value human life. And we have to meet them with the value of human life. Every life matters. That's why that slogan is so important to me. Because if we ever, if we ever get to the place... Where we're, where we're only willing to declare that certain lives matter, we've lost the vision. And that's not to say that those certain lives don't matter because they do. I, I could come back and spend another two hours telling you about how sorry I am for the way we behave towards black people for 400 years as a world and for the way we continue to do that. But I'm not going to get into that today because I want us to keep on target here. So let me pray. Let's, why don't we all stand? And I'll, I'll close my part with prayer, and then anybody that, Charlie, anybody that wants to do anything else obviously has my permission, as if you need it. So let's pray. Father, I know this is a heavy word 
I, I can feel the pain of your people. But Father, let that pain not be shame. Let it not be disappointment. Let it not be despair. Let that pain be the pain of a warrior who's turning that pain into victory and who's saying that a wound here is not going to stop me because I'm fighting for my king. Father, seal this word in our hearts. Seal it in our minds. But most of all, seal it in our spirits. Father, no more are we going to sit by and get distracted by the magic show that's going on around us. The world has a lot of fun, cool stuff to look at, but we're going after the dark underbelly of the beast. Father, give us the conviction of our courage. Give us direction. Help us to understand exactly what part you want each of us to play and how you want us to play it. And Lord, I pray that you would bless this church for being the type of church that would take this word and not run from it, but would take it and embrace it as I can feel people in my spirit doing right now around this room. Father, grant us your peace that passes understanding. Grant us the light that lights heaven, which is the light that comes off of you. It's the most natural light in the world. Let that light light up our world so that we're not overcome by darkness. And give us the courage to take it into the dark corners of the world, to turn those corners into the bright light of the kingdom. And Father, these children that are sitting out there desperately needing to be rescued, please encourage them. Please go to them and speak to them and tell them, I'm sending you some help. Somebody's on the way. Father, I pray that you would begin to speak to people's hearts that you want uh, to be involved in intercession because this, this battle, while it may not be the most glorious-looking battle on the intercessor's side, the intercession battle is the battle that determines whether this is won or lost. Father, without winning the battle in the heavenly, we can't even fight here on this issue. All we can do is prune trees and create a greater harvest for evil. Father, just as we, as we start to go from here, please bless us. Keep this in our minds, but not again, not in a despairing way, not in a dark way, but in, in a life filled with hope, because I have greater hope than I've ever had. Because the one thing I know is that when your people respond and when they engage in the way that you call them to engage, that you show up and you bring the victory, because the battle belongs to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Stay up here. Okay. Um, you know, it's interesting when five of us brothers went to Louisiana three years ago, and Karen Simmons was here in Deltona praying for us, and we were praying against um, some demonic activity in Lafayette. Karen gets on the phone. She says, you guys need to go drive a stake in the ground, have communion at the corner of 49 and I-10 because that is a crossroads of sex trafficking that needs to be prayed over. 
we're on the phone with her, and I look up, and we're at the corner of 49 and 10, and kind of a coincidence. I had never heard the word sex trafficking in my heart that I had needed to deal with it, or I needed to be part of something to tear that demonic thing down. But we went and prayed, and we were praying. <laughs> Two police officers come up, want to know what we're doing. We said, well, we're praying. You want to pray with us? No, you, we got this. <laughs> you know, ask a police officer to pray with you, they'll leave. Less than a quarter mile from that spot is where there was a shooting three weeks ago in Lafayette. A young man lost his life. That city is in turmoil. Our spiritual brother, Bobby, his son is a police officer and was part of that. Those officers on the scene, he was not the shooter, but he was part of it. And we've watched God anoint Bobby to get into the mayor's office and to get other pastors and start tearing down the divide and the racial divide. He had a somebody on his intercessor team had a brilliant thought. Who's taking care of the mama and the family? So they went and they took an offering and gave enough money so they could bury her baby. And the big church in town is having the funeral and Al Sharpton and everybody's coming. But the family wanted to have their reception at Bobby's church. And you're seeing the impact. And, and Joel's been actually given legal counsel on why he can tell the press to stay off the property. And I mean, he's given him the legal counsel on how to handle this stuff. Listen, we... We were driving down the road yesterday, and I'm sharing my calling and racism and what God's called me to do, and, and he realized why I need him in my life. He feels like I probably will need an attorney shortly. <laughs> you know, if, and if I do what I'm supposed to do, I probably will. But when he told the story that they used to order a little girl by height and color, and now they're doing this, when he said that in Louisiana, it's like an arrow went through my heart. And I had to catch my breath. I'm like, how do you even go about attacking that? It's so big. It's so out of my league. But I'm telling you, there is there's a coalition coming among us. Papa Jack pretty well told us to quit playing and get this thing started. Uh, Joel's been doing legal work with sex trafficking people in, in, in Europe and things like that, but he he's putting this thing together. And I am committed to do my part, whatever that is. Cause enough trouble to need an attorney, I don't know. We could do that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, any questions? I mean, this is – anybody got any questions? Working on right now. I'll have I'll have something. Um, I've got an old website that mentions this some, but this isn't such an idea. I haven't refreshed it. But it will be ihrg.org, and it, 
give me about two weeks and I'll have the guy that does my websites for me uh, put together some stuff on this. So you're, you're welcome to go there now, but it's I haven't updated that page in, in probably a year or two because I'm doing some other things. Nelson? And if you if you want to contact me, you can use that website and just Joel J O E L at I H R G. That comes directly to my phone, and I'm happy to hear from anybody because I'm I'm serious. I'm I'll be 60 years old in December, and and this is it. This is what I'm going to be when I grow up. I'm a late bloomer. Any other questions? Mm-hmm. When these kids are abducted, do they quickly move out of the states or out of the country? Or it's all different. The, the The irony is, a lot of these kids are not are not even leaving their homes. But but tra- and because it's trafficking, you always think it's about movement. But the the definition of of sex trafficking is by force, fear, or co- or coercion having someone performing sex acts on where they're doing it and you're getting the money from it. And so you've got kids that – they're kids in, in some of the worst areas of Atlanta. Uh, there's little boys that are prostituting themselves at night on the streets that are actually in school every day because school is where they get two meals a day for free. School is where they can hide from all the turmoil that's going on because their parents are dysfunctional. Their dads are not around. Their moms are all on drugs. And they're, I mean, these are eight and nine-year-old boys that are forced to, to feed themselves. And so they're showing up at school, but they're being sex trafficked every night. And sometimes they do take them and move them. They don't, Americans, they don't tend to move Americans around as much. Like I, I worked with the Scotland Yard detectives that started the Scotland Yard's human trafficking uh, division and they were the right about the time the movie Taken came out. Remember the Liam Neeson movie, and they were they were furious at that movie. I thought it was the best movie I'd ever seen. And I'm you know, I'm going to find you and I'm going to kill you. I'm like, That's a guy after my own heart right there. Let's go do it. And but they've said the trouble with that film is that would not happen in real life because these guys know that to take an American abroad is to bring the wrath of the world down on your head. The CIA, the FBI, the American government, the European governments, everybody in the world is going to stop that because American lives have a special value all over the world because we have a huge army and we give a whole lot of money. We're the most benevolent country on the face of the planet as a government, not just our churches and our Christian people. Our government gives away billions of dollars a year, and I think it's some of the best money we spend. It's less than 1% of our budget. You quit giving money internationally, you're not solving any kind of budget crisis, but you're creating bad will all over the world. And so they said it wouldn't happen because there's too much turmoil involved. There's too much. It, it's what happened with Liam Neeson. I mean, it's not Liam Neeson can't do that, but the government of America can destroy it just like ne- Liam did. And so the, the Americans, they tend to leave in America. There's a lot of foreigners are involved in this. That's one of the reasons I think the border is so critical getting the wall up on the border and stopping it. Uh, forget about the immigration issue, which is a, is a whole separate issue that I'm happy to talk about in some other setting. But but the, they're using, traffickers are using that porous border because there's so much chaos on it that they can slip people in. And so there's a lot of foreigners that are being brought in in the sex trade too. Because you're, you're ordering kids not just by height and hair color, but by race. 
and and people have have perverts have really weird tastes. So, did, were you raising your hand? Okay. Yeah. I have a question. So we hear, you know, we, he does a lot of research on stuff and mm-hmm. all this. And uh, so they were saying that um, they're also doing that to children for parts, like to kill them, get them so scared, kills them. There's like a thing in their brain that they eat. Have you heard about that? Yeah, I'm not. Th- those are the conspiracies that, that I kind of, I, my initial reaction is that's a bridge too far. But my second reaction is these are really sick people. Uh, no. I, the trouble with talking about that and, and leading with that is it it it's a it's an opportunity to write you off because nobody's going to believe that there are people that are depraved. Do I, do I believe it's going on? Probably. Here's what I do know: that one of the areas for, for trafficking of human beings is for body part harvesting. Yeah. Getting a good kidney, getting a good liver, getting a good heart. I mean, you're talking about killing these kids. They're, they're, they're basically kidnapping them, killing them, and harvesting their organs like you would from somebody who's just died in a car wreck. So, I mean, that's, it's just a step away to be going, oh, there's this special protein in the brain that if you eat it. And, and I've seen all those things, but I, I, I haven't seen anything that's proof. And I'm praying to God that we're not that far gone. <laughs> but I'm not going to be surprised when I see proof that shows it, that it's true. Yes, ma'am. Um, is there a website that I can go on? In the last two months, I've probably worked with 280 single moms. Mm-hmm. And um, if there's a website that I could go in and copy something down so that I can at least send this out to them. Mm-hmm. Um, the yeah, there's a, there's a great website. There's the, the a website, there's, a, there's an organization in D.C. that's known as the Polaris Project. And let me let me um, enter it really quickly to figure out exactly what the um, what their web address is. But they're they're quasi governmental, but they're they're also there's a good bit of Christian base in it, and they are they have a lot of good information. They have a huge thing they've just put together that kind of goes through all this. What was the name? Again? It's the Polaris Project. P O L A R. IS project and I believe their their website is P O L A R I S project P R O J E C T dot O R G Their number is twenty five million are being trafficked worldwide. I've seen it as high as forty. There's a lot of really good information on that website. It's kind of a they can, and it also has the uh, the national hotline to call if you suspect somebody's being trafficked. You want? Um, he he could talk for hours on this. And one of the, one of the things that has happened when when Joel kind of connect with us, he, some of this passion came for him also to actually do something. Strong and illegal. I mean, when you start taking people to Supreme Court, yeah, you're you're kind of entrenched in it. But I, I, there's some good things going on. Mm-hmm. And you say what? What's the one of the benefits for the transgender on the COVID? With the, with the transgender movement, 
in the public schools, which is where they're battling the war. In, in England, they've actually done a study that because they shut down the schools, they have a huge increase in kids who are who are returning back to the sex where they were born, to their biological sex, because they're not in school with all the propaganda, getting all the affirming. The counselors are affirming them. Teachers are affirming them. Other students are affirming them. Because of that, there's been a huge flux of kids returning back to normal. Because if what we know is that if you don't go through the, all the affirming process, if you just leave this alone, sixty to eighty percent of kids will will end up being realizing that how they were born is what they are. If you leave them alone, if you affirm them, you'll drive them all. And so, because school's out, there's been a huge relaxation of this because this is all happening through public schools all over the West. In other words, parents have got to start getting involved. And, and and deal with the school systems that are and you know here's here's the message the school systems keep telling us that they're in charge of our kids but guess what as soon as there was a crisis where did they send them because who's in charge of them mom and dad mom dad whoever it is and that's a message parents need to remember when they go back to school and suddenly the school goes, Stat, don't be looking in on the Zoom calls that we're doing our class through right now. That's none of your business as their parent. I'm not going any further because I'm going to start cussing if I answer that. I know that this won't church bother has most never of you. heard anything like yeah. that. <laughs> Put your hand over your heart. Say, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Help us. Help us. And help me. And help me. Help the situation. Help the situation. Amen. Amen. So into his ministry, please. Thank you for tuning in to today's message from Identity Church. To know more about us, go to identitychurch.net, where you'll find resources such as a calendar, media, and upcoming events. You may also download an app for your mobile device from the Apple App Store or Google Play. Then from your mobile device, you can hear our messages. Read from the Bible, take notes, connect with us on the social media, and even pay your tithe. Again, thank you for tuning in to today's message from Identity Church.